It's uh, November 3rd, the year 2023. We're going to finish up the first chapter of Ephesians and uh, hope that it is profitable to you. Remember our our our, our motto kind of is uh, to edify the saints and to glorify God. And uh, in that is uh, my purpose <clears throat> and reason for doing what I do. <clears throat> I fulfill my respons responsibilities when I put it on the on the broadcast. And then <clears throat> the rest of it is up to God to do what he will, when he will. So with that, um, I'll start with a brief introduction here. A lot of this is going to be stuff you might want to listen over a couple of times because a lot of what's going to be presented is pretty thought-provoking. I just gained, just putting this together, I just gained new insight myself. So it's it's not like, this is a road that you have to travel frequently. And this road is Bible study. More particular, we're, we're studying Ephesians chapter 1, but... Uh, you know, as you go over a certain road, you become more familiar with it. And then you begin to see things that you had not seen before. And it's going to be the same way. So I would I would recommend that if, if you desire to get a basic understanding of the depth of the first chapter of Ephesians, that you go back and read it over and over again and take it for what it says and not necessarily to examine it for conformity to your present belief. Christian growth is basically a history of growing through different stages in one's spiritual life. Such things are addressed in 1 John, as he addresses three different stages of spiritual growth, little children, young men, and old men. And such has been my spiritual walk. I started out not being able to crawl, and then progressed to crawling, and then to walking, and then to running, and with the running, some falling. And of course, I'm speaking metaphorically here, but Scripture ever calls us to examine ourselves. And with that, to see how much we are in conformity to the scriptures. Inherent in that process is the falling, so to speak, in that we may be on a path not endorsed by scripture, which would then entail a falling, that is to say, the stumbling block was not the truth, but our misconception of it because of maybe outward pressure to conform to something not right and true or something that is based upon truth but had been perverted to suit man's thinking. 
Listen, there is only one way, but there are many traps and snares set to distract us, to divide, to confuse, and to stunt our growth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, uh, to be aware, because we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And with that, I'll read the full context of Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies or in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That is the context we'll go through uh, expositorily and look at each verse and hopefully present a, a big bigger picture uh, Paul, again, is writing to the church at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, so that, um, that wherefore is actually a compound word, and it, it, it basically means through that. The context of that refers us back to what he had wrote to them in verses 13 and 14. That is, uh, in whom you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you consequently sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So in, in looking at that, through that, so that referred us back then to that was he's talking about. Wherefore, refers us back to 13 and 14. Note here what he says. I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. So two things, faith in Christ and love to the saints. Okay. One begets the other. 1 John 3.14, John writes by inspiration, he says, We know that we have passed 
from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God love his brother also. So there, it's inherent. One, one goes with the other. One begets the other. The love, faith in Christ promotes love to the saints. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 16. Uh, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So upon hearing of their faith and love, then Paul expresses his thankfulness unto God for them. The one planting the seed is gratified that the seed has taken root and was bringing forth fruit. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 9, 10. That he that plows should plow in hope, and he that threshes in hope should be partakers of his hope. That is to say, one may be sent to prepare the ground and then plant the seed. But the one planting the seed, the seed may or may not see the harvest. The one then who threshes the harvest is also of the part, uh, a partaker of the hope of the one who sowed the seed. And and there shall be a time, uh, one of the parables of Jesus in Matthew thirteen thirty nine. There shall be a time when the reapers shall be the angels. Uh, Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So Paul's prayer for them was unto an end. Add specific things Paul desired for the Ephesians in their life that God would give them the spirit of wisdom. Part of that wisdom being their understanding of the things spoken of prior that are contained in the first chapter, that God would give unto them revelation or disclosure pertaining to what end in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of God. Now, knowledge, let's talk about the word knowledge. It's actually uh, represented in the King James in a couple of ways. One is by the word gnosis, that's a G-N-O-S-I-S, meaning to know. Uh, and I think knowledge is probably derived from gnosis, the similarities of it. Uh, Anyway, gnosis means to know or to have a knowledge of something. The other word is epignosis, which means a full discernment or acknowledgement. And the, the, the difference uh, between the two is, is like this. It's, it is one thing to see something. It's quite another to see it and to understand it. And that's kind of what this conveys, these two words. We use some of the same thinking at times. We will use the term, I see, in proclaiming we see something with our eyes. And we use the same term when we say we have not only seen something with our eyes, but we have an understanding of what it is 
or a full disclosure, so to speak. So you think uh, think about the, the term agnostic. Okay, it's uh, typical in language, whether it's Greek or English, the A denotes uh, something that is opposed to what follows. So an agnostic would be opposed to knowledge. Uh, an atheist would be opposed to any anything that had to do with theos or any god. Okay, so same same contemplation, the same application. So knowledge has kind of a a shallow depth and a deeper depth. Okay, it's seeing one thing and understanding and having a full disclosure of what it is and, and its purpose and all of that. That's another thing. And and it the ver the next verse kind of builds upon that. <clears throat> Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Okay, so it's not, he's not talking about your ocular vision. He's talking about the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the, we see the word epignosis defined as uh, the eyes of your understanding. The, the word understanding being defined as deep thought, uh, the mind. And the term being enlightened meaning, means to illuminate. Now, Paul will state later in this epistle that whatsoever does make manifest is light. In the physical sense, when we often cannot get a clear view of a thing, we cast more light upon it, which is what Paul is saying. Anything that clarifies and brings to detail and full revelation is light. So again, Paul's prayer for them was to another end illumination of the understanding so they would know the hope of God's calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That is to say, the anticipation of the results of his calling and to recognize the richness, and that means wealth or fullness, of the glory of his inheritance, and that is defined as patrimony or heirship. Okay, the fullness and the airship uh, contained in his calling. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. So the exceeding greatness of his power is the surpassing magnitude Power is, uh, the word power is the word dunamis. It's, uh, we get the word dynamo from it. It's defined <clears throat> as miraculous power to or into us who believe according to the, the working or the energy of his mighty power. Mighty power is defined as forceful vigor. And when I see that, I think of omnipotence. Can you stand against God? No. 
you can't. Nobody can. Uh, and Ephesians one twenty, which he wrought in Christ, that is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This shows us the means. So what he expressed in uh, 19, verse 19, this is, is revealed by the means. Paul's prayer regarding the Ephesians is contained in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, so revelation, this illumination, the spirit of wisdom, that Greek word, by the way, is Sophia. That's a good name, but that's exactly what it means. But uh, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. To, uh, the knowledge of God to the end that they would be enlightened to know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance as well as those things that were contained in verse 18 and 19. These things then were active and efficient in Christ when God raised him from the dead. Now, I'm going to give you a, a key here, a key to understanding, a, a key to illumination. The term, the term, quote, in Christ, unquote, is going to be a key to understanding. <coughs> Excuse me, dry throat this morning. This chapter has introduced us to um, something that is, depending on where you are in your spiritual walk, rather mind-boggling. It uh, shows us that we were in Christ before the foundation of the world chosen and predestinated in him, as in verse 4 and 5, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So in verse 3, God blessed us in Christ. Verse 4 and 5, he chose us in Christ and he predestinated us in Christ. Hence what Jesus said. <coughs> All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, you can, if you want to, call this a, a mystical connection. 
and the word the word mystery because that's the whole aspect of a mystical connection is it's a, it's a mystery but the word mystery the greek word mysterion is is used more in ephesians than in the other new testament book um it is reflected in romans 6 6 and we'll get a little bit deeper into that as we go through the rest of this chapter Romans 6 6 says knowing this that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin okay now that's that's another key knowing this okay that our old man is crucified with him. The term crucified with <clears throat> is actually one Greek word, and it means to impale in company with. to impale in company with. So if we had not been with him, that our old men had not been with him, then there wouldn't be any definition to the term crucified with. So follow me here. Uh, I'm going to go through something that might be uh, beyond your your present ability to understand, but keep after it and it'll come to you in God's due time. I'm going to give you kind of a summary here of uh, what we're seeing. Before the foundation of the world, we were in Christ. Christ was our embodiment, whether in concept in thought or whatever. Now, Christ is a title. Christos, the anointed. In Romans 6, 6, what we just looked at, it speaks of us as well regarding our old natural carnal man being crucified in company with Christ. So in the incarnation, Christ took upon himself flesh and blood to redeem those who were in him before the foundation of the world. To the extent that when he died, we died in the carnal sense. Hence again, he embodied us upon Calvary. In his resurrection, Christ embodied us as well experiencing the miracle of the resurrection and in so doing, embodying us again for the future event of our own resurrection. Essentially, Christ embodied us from the foundation of the world through time and into the eternal age. And I'm going to turn you over to Hebrews. 
chapter two. Just pick it up in verse 11. Well, let's pick it up in verse 10. Better context. For it became him, talking about Christ, we see Jesus in verse 9. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. It became him in bringing many sons to glory <clears throat> to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified, pay attention, are all of one. Okay, are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. <coughs> Saying in verse 12, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, the, the part that I want to key on is this. Jesus got his name in his incarnation. His title was ever the same. Lord Christ. Uh, I want to call your attention to verse 14. Well, it, actually, 13 where it says, <clears throat> Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. That's actually a quote from Isaiah 8, 17, and 18. Actually, Isaiah 8, 18. Um, John 6, if you will. Uh, 30... Thirty-seven. Jesus says this: "All that the Father giveth me shall come to me." Now flip that. What do I mean? Say flip it. All those who don't come to Him are not given Christ by the Father. Okay. If one is true, the other. If the positive is true, the negative is true. So all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, 
but should raise it up again at the last day. That's kind of what we're talking about. So the children are partakers of flesh and blood. If they weren't already children, they couldn't partake of anything. So Christ was already Christ. It says, but he also himself likewise took part of the same. Christ Christ had to be Christ in order for him to partake of being made flesh and blood. So the children likewise had to be children prior to partaking in flesh and blood because a non-entity cannot partake in anything. Okay. <clears throat> Do not think that intellectual attainment and spiritual discernment are the same. They are far different from one another. If you believe only what your intellect can appropriate, then you miss the whole picture. It is the spirit that guides us into and unto all truth. The flesh profits nothing. That spiritual guidance instructs in ways and matters and means that are comprehended only by those who are possessed of it. And even at that, it may take some doing. So the part of the frustration in, in, in that is sharing with other people what you know and them uh, looking at you like uh, <clears throat> you just escaped from insane asylum or something. But be that as it may, uh, how many accusations did Jesus get? You know, see, you're a glutton and a wine-bibber, and so others said this man has a devil and all these kind of things because they didn't, they didn't see nor could they. So three things regarding the enlightenment of our understanding in verse 18 is that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Ephesians one twenty one. <clears throat> far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So God's mighty power was manifest when God raised Christ from the dead and set him, set Christ at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principalities. Uh, that word is archaic. It's a we use it as A-R-C-H, architect and stuff like that. It means chief or head things. Far above all principalities or chief things and power, which is worldly authority and might, which is forces and dominion, which is mastery, not just in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet. And that's a metaphorical illustration that everything, everything, is under the feet of Jesus Christ and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. That is, Christ is the head of the church. So high has God exalted Christ 
that all things are under his feet and set him as head over all things to the church. Verse 23, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, Paul in Ephesians 5 will say this. In in 123, he says, the church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. In 530, he says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Okay, and and, uh, there's a certain section in in, uh, Ephesians 3 that we'll talk about. It kind of relates to this, uh, and we'll get to that when we hit chapter 3. But uh, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now, go back to Genesis 2.23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Yeah, if you notice, the word woman has man in it, right? In fact, uh, she has the word he in it. So you think about even in different languages, one is derived of the other. Okay, let me draw an analogy here. What did, what did Paul say? We are members of his body, his flesh and bones. Adam said of Eve, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So we are called Christians because of Christ, which was the original. The Christian or Christ? Well, if there wasn't any Christ, you wouldn't be called a Christian. So Eve was a derived creation from Adam. The church is derived from Christ. Now, that analogy carries a lot deeper than what I'm telling you right now. And we won't get into that. But uh, the Spirit showed me something on that one time that was very beautiful and very thought-provoking. But the, the church is described as being the fullness of him that fills all in all. There's a lot of things to contemplate in Ephesians. These sayings go deep, but yeah, deepness is not a bad thing. I'm going to close with a, a portion of Scripture out of Colossians. Again, Colossians is written by Paul to the church at Colossa, but kind of carries some things that we can be edified with today, uh, Colossians 1.12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet or proper to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. No darkness here. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Notice that Paul is careful to use the present tense there. He is before all things. He doesn't say he was before all things, because God and Christ are always present tense. So he is before all things. Before, before all things, he is. And think of it that way. Before all things, he is. And by him all things consist. And he, because all things were made by him. And he is before, verse 17, he is before all things. And by him all things consist. How elementary is that? And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Second Timothy, I'll just refer you to this, is one of these verses that encapsulates everything in one verse, if you could but grasp it. Okay, in chapter 1 of Second Timothy, he's talking about God in verse 9. According to the power of God, listen, who hath saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to anything we did, have done, or shall do, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, when? Before the world began, or before the ages of time, if you will. So talking about God who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You not only were powerless to save yourself, you, um, you, it was not in you to be saved or regenerated. And that's another thing. Uh, the words that people use. Salvation, sozo, is defined as a deliverance. Regeneration is a new creature. So salvation is actually the result of being born again. Except you be born again, you shall not see or enter into the kingdom of God. It's essential, but you are powerless to effect it. Okay. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus 
before the world began. So this, uh, going to take you back and read you the essential part, if I can find it here. It's um, bear with. Here it is. Essentially, Christ embodied us from the foundation of the world through time and into the eternal age. And you can't get through Ephesians 1 without at least being introduced introduced to at least the concept of that, whether the actual reality of that sinks in yet or not. I don't know. But again, following that, and that validation of Scripture was Hebrews 2, 11 through 15, but don't think that intellectual attainment and spiritual discernment are the same. They are not. So don't just believe only what your intellect can appropriate. If you do that, you miss the whole picture. It's the spirit that guides into all truth. And the flesh profits nothing. So the intellect the intellect may, if you, if you do depend too much on it, and I'm not saying you have to be a moron or anything. I'm not saying that at all. If you're born again, what that does, is if you become a new creature in Christ, it opens up a whole a whole different different vista of what is possible and what what how what is presently taking place was actually foreordained before the foundation of the world and for for just the sake of a of an illustration okay Notice uh, in the beginning, God created, okay, Genesis 1.1. If we, if, imagine God making this huge, huge tapestry, and in that tapestry, as Psalms uh, 139 says, all the days of my life were written before as yet there were any of them. That was written into the into the tapestry. That was that was embroidered into the tapestry. The days of your life as a believer were embroidered into that tapestry. World events from from all even back before the recorded history of man all the way to the, the end of time were embroidered in that tapestry and this was all then completed by God and rolled up in this big, huge, humongous roll. And right there at the beginning, God grabs the end of that huge tapestry and he rolls it out. And, and it's, like, it's like a reader, a bar. Time is the bar across that tapestry that it moves down the tapestry and all those things that are woven in that tapestry come to pass when that time bar reads over it. Okay, so everything that is ahead of the time bar is future. Everything behind the time bar is past. 
but the whole origin of it is God. I hope that he has blessed his word to your heart today. I, I know I've given a lot of things to contemplate, but I think as you will, if you will, ask God for wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Ask God for wisdom. And <clears throat> don't try to tell God that how much you want at any certain time or in any certain progression. Don't do that. Just say, reveal, show me what you would have me to know. Every time you crack open the book, and you will be profited if you believe, if you're a believer, if you've been born again. I hope that uh, you might contemplate some of the things that were brought to light today. Thank you for listening.